You're listening to Two Brain Radio. We make gyms profitable, getting you on track to making every day your perfect day. Every week, we'll deliver top-shelf business tactics to help improve your gym, advance your fitness career, and move you closer to wealth. Get ready to start building your bigger and better business with your coach, best-selling fitness author of Two Brain Business, Grow Your Gym, and Health First, Chris Cooper. This episode is brought to you by Healthy Steps Nutrition. I first met Nicole over a year ago when one of my favorite CrossFit affiliates introduced me to her because Nicole was helping them, Sam Broom and Shankle at CrossFit Port Orange, start a nutrition program in her box. And that conversation turned into something larger. A year later, Nicole has a fantastic bolt-on nutrition program that you can add to your box anywhere in the world. So if you're thinking, I need to start presenting better nutrition information to my clients, or I need a new revenue stream, or I want to know more about nutrition, but I don't know where to get started, Healthy Steps has that. What they're going to do is put you, or one of your coaches even better, through a course, get them qualified to start teaching nutrition, Then they're going to add you to a private Facebook group. They're going to give you a rollout so that you can do a nutrition challenge at your gym, which more than pays for the cost of enrolling them in the course, and then provide an ongoing mentorship program for your nutrition program so that you can continue to run things for your clients, like a nutrition accountability plan every month like we do at Catalyst. Nicole is a fantastic person, and after launching Healthy Steps Nutrition Online, she actually opened up her own box. She's working with some massive clients, including some big, big school boards across the country now, and she's in a great position to actually change people's lives with nutrition. You can be a conduit for that. Your clients need nutrition advice and counseling. Healthy Steps is the best possible solution to this. It's bolt-on. You can take a coach who's passionate about nutrition and give them the help they need to start a program overseen by a registered dietitian, Nicole Marchand. Healthy Steps Nutrition is a proud sponsor of Two Brain, and I am so glad to have them. I don't usually start this podcast with a question. I save that for Greg Stroh, who does our Food for Thought Friday podcast every Friday on Two Brain Radio. But this week, I want you to ask yourself a question and be thinking about it as we go through an exercise. And that question is, what's my pebble? When I was a kid in the seventh grade, I had a geography teacher named Mr. Chapel. Mr. Chapel walked with a very pronounced limp that seemed to get worse as he grew older. Mr. Chapel lived down the street from me, and so I'd often see him at the grocery store or walking down the road with his wife to get some exercise. And what went from a very tiny limp progressed into a big problem. As he walked, Mr. Chapel would go like this. He would take a small step with his left leg, which operated normally. Then he'd hitch up his right hip and swing his right leg straight through without bending at the knee and plant it. Then he would put all his weight on his right leg and take a normal step with his left. And then he'd repeat the process hundreds, thousands of times every single day. And it worked for a while. You're a fitness coach. You probably recognize this as a compensatory movement. And it led to a total hip replacement for Mr. Chapel. When I see him now, he's walking more freely, but his other hip is going to have to get replaced pretty soon because he's getting old. What started this whole thing? Well, I'm not sure what started it for Mr. Chapel, but what can start it for us is the pebble in our shoe. Let's say that you're out for a walk today and you're having a good time. You're with great company. You're moving along the beach and you get a little tiny pebble in your shoe. For a while, you just try to wiggle your toes to get it moved off to the side or someplace it won't bother you. Or maybe you continue to step on it and you just think, nah, I can live with this. 
But after a few strides, after a few minutes, you start to develop this limp. And you might not even notice it, but your stride changes, your gait changes. Eventually, that's going to slow you down and you get this little limp that by the end of the day has progressed into this full-on changed gait. Your foot hurts. Your knee doesn't bend anymore. Your back hurts because you're overcompensating and you're like rolling your hip forward and you're trying to keep up with your friends and then they decide they're going to go for a run and you can't run because you've got this pebble in your shoe, which has turned into something far, far greater. In our businesses, these pebbles, these little things that we tell ourselves, oh, I can live with that. They become huge impediments over time. And though I work with some of the best surgeons in business, these are the mentors at Two Brain Business, surgery to fix a problem that you could have fixed in the first place is always going to be a time-consuming, painful process. You're going to need a period of rehab and recovery. You're going to lose some mobility. You're going to not keep up with your friends for a while. You're going to fix it, but it's going to take some pain and some work. It's better to just take the damn pebble out of your shoe in the first place. And that's why in the Two Brain Incubator, we teach you how to identify those pebbles and we teach you how to fix them. And in this episode, I'm going to walk through what some of those most common pebbles are, how to fix them, and why it's easier to just take the thing out than it is to wait for surgery. Now, I don't want to stick with this pebble analogy for very much longer. I'm sure you're getting as tired of it as I am. So instead, I want to switch to a different analogy, and that is saying no instead of saying maybe. Our job as entrepreneurs, as gym owners, as you know, whatever other owners of whatever other business we have, is to get people off maybe. This is true of the sales process. It's true of the self-improvement process. It's also true of the when should I fire a client process or teaching a staff our policies and procedure process. It's so much easier if things are simpler and we keep things black and white and eliminate the gray area, the maybe. In this episode, I'm going to walk through several times in my career when I've made the mistake of giving people the maybe option, how I fixed it, and how you can avoid that same problem. I'm also going to try and illustrate how much money you're going to save by fixing this problem right now instead of letting it build to a full-on limp that's going to have to be surgically fixed. Enjoy. When I opened my second location, Catalyst, the CrossFit gym, the powerlifting gym, the hardcore let's get stuff done, train athletes to get better and win the Stanley Cup gym, the awesome gym, the stuff with spray paint on the walls, and you know, who cares about the bathrooms? When I started that gym, I thought that all of my best clients were going to be just like me. Stuff that didn't bother me wouldn't bother them. Stuff that looked like I did it on purpose, like graffiti on the wall or a bad haircut, would get passed as fashionable. He did it on purpose. That's why it looks like that. It's not sloppy. It's not messy. That guy's got fashionable hair, not a bad haircut because he chose that. He did it on purpose. The problem I didn't understand was that most of my clients were not exactly like me. And the few clients who were, were kind of jerks. All my powerlifting buddies did join my gym and I had to remove them. All my crossfitting buddies who wanted to go on and compete at what was called sectionals back then, they did sign up. And they didn't really want to pay for coaching because they thought that they were better than me. And they were. People who I needed as my clients, the people who needed coaching, wanted coaching, wanted to be fit, wanted to lose weight, wanted to get better at their sport, they didn't really want all the other things that I was letting slide. So on the very first day of opening this gym, I said, CrossFit gyms have dogs. And my partner brought his dog in and we were prepared to drill into the floor and set up our rig 
And this dog walked straight to the center of the gym floor and pissed right in the right to the millimeter, right in the exact center of this floor. Well, for the next five years that I had that location, every single dog that wanted to come into the gym would smell that piss. No cleaner, no solvent, no lemony, you know, even replacing the mats didn't work. I couldn't smell it after the first day. The dog owner couldn't smell it. No human could smell it, but other dogs could, and it would drive them bananas. So when I started saying, hey, we can't allow dogs, I actually removed a very big pebble from my shoe. In other gyms where they do allow dogs, I'm not saying that I hate dogs. I love dogs. I'm not saying that I hate cats. I love cats. I don't think there's a great spot for them in most gyms. And this is because they can endanger themselves or they can scare people. So in some gyms that I've visited where there is a gym dog, little kids get nervous around the dog. The dog gets really excited. He's jumping up. The gym owner is suddenly apologizing to the parent for scaring the kid or telling the kid, don't worry, don't worry. He's so friendly. He loves you. He's licking you. And the parent sees, here's a place that scares my kid. In other situations, I visited a gym where a dog has been a very calm, collected dog, very awesome dog. I liked petting it when I went in and then the second dog came in and you know what happens then. Both dogs go a little bit crazy. Class is in session. The dogs run through. They're a distraction. I'm nervous because I don't want to drop a kettlebell and hurt this dog that I like. And the dogs don't really know what's going on. So they keep getting more and more and more excited. In a third situation, the gym owner has a gym dog who's absolutely gorgeous, calm around kids, sits in the back office, and then some client brings their dog in and a third client brings their dog in. And how do you say no to the fourth client? Because my dog is here and the second and third dog is here. And then one of these dogs is bad. You can't control other people's dogs, no matter how much you try. You can't control other people's kids. So the best policy is not no dogs, but mine. The best policy is actually no dogs. It's very, very easy to enforce a policy of no gym dogs. And that's why we do it at Catalyst. It's very, very hard to enforce a policy of some dogs sometimes. And unless you're going to put each dog through a driver's ed, you know, pet training course, you're probably going to have a much easier time growing your business and enforcing your pets policy if the policy is no pets. Now, I started with that one because I wanted to get the hard one out of the way first. Everybody has emotional attachments to their dogs. You know, the, the Spieler videos from 10 years ago of him doing 100 unbroken pull-ups, he's got a dog in the gym. A lot of the early CrossFit gyms, including the original CrossFit gyms, had a dog in the gym. What I'm saying is now that we've gone to a more commercial, professional business enterprise, you might want to think about how you're going to enforce policies. And the point I want to make with the dog story is that you should never create a policy that you're not willing to enforce. Now I'm going to take us to the second hardest, second most emotional topic, which is discounts. When I started, I read that CrossFit gyms had discounts for people. Now my rates were already too low. I wasn't making any money from my CrossFit gym, my powerlifting gym. So I started by giving other powerlifters a discount. I said, we're going to be making this huge powerlifting team and everybody's going to get better because iron sharpens iron and all that other stuff. So I gave a discount for powerlifters. But then an Olympic lifter came in and he said, well, what's powerlifting? You know, I do that stuff. I just do it way faster and I make it look way cooler than you guys. And I have abs and you don't. Why don't I get the discount? And so I gave him the discount too. And then a bodybuilder came in and he said, well, you know, I do deadlifts, squats and presses. Why don't I get a discount? And so he got the discount too. And sooner or later, 
I decided that everybody was probably getting a discount in my gym. A serviceman came in from the Canadian military and I gave him a discount that I just made up on the spot because, hey man, he's dedicated to service and so am I. Then a teacher came in and said, well, I'm dedicated to service too. Even though I get paid twice as much as that soldier, uh, isn't my service just as valuable? And I said, I guess it is. And then a nurse came in and asked the exact same question. And in my head, I started looking for excuses to give people discounts. And how much were the discounts? Well, you know, the soldier was getting 20%, but God, the nurse is, you know, dealing with sick people all day. Maybe she should get 25. And eventually I had a tough time explaining to people why that guy was getting a discount and this person was getting a larger discount than they were. And when a new client came in and I realized that I had to stop giving discounts or I was never going to make a living, that it cost five clients to pay for the one with the discount, I felt like I was lying to them by not telling them about the discounts. And so everybody came in on a discount. And eventually what my first mentor told me is, it's easier to give no discounts than it is to give some discounts. It's easier for you to explain. It's easier for your staff to understand. It's easier for your members to understand when you don't give discounts. And so now when somebody comes into Catalyst and says, do you give discounts for blank? We say, we don't give discounts. Our price is as affordable as we can possibly make it right now. You can even say our price is as inexpensive as we can afford to make it right now, whatever you want. The last time somebody asked for a discount at Catalyst was about six years ago. And I remember it because nobody had asked for a discount in the three years before that. Why? Because we have a no discount policy. We don't give them. And so people stop asking for them. But when you train yourself to give discounts, you train yourself to give more and more and more discounts. And eventually what happens is that your rate is no longer your rate. The pebble in your shoe becomes a limp. You might not notice it, but your stride is not what it could be if you're discounting your service over and over and over again. Another pebble in many shoes is open gym. We're selling a service. We're selling coaching, fitness coaching, exercise coaching, nutrition coaching. We might be selling corrective coaching, fixing movement, or we might be selling motivational coaching, you know, cheerleading, or we might be selling both, whatever. Our business is not selling access to our gyms. But when I was broke, I was selling open gym in between classes a lot because I needed the extra money. And because I looked at my business, rightly so, as the pebbles and rocks and water and sand in a cup analogy. And I thought, well, I'm here anyway. I might as well sell something to make a little bit of money on my time between classes. And so we sold Open Gym. And then I wrote about it in Two Brain Business. And a lot of other people saw that opportunity too. But as I passed that, that revenue barrier, and I finally realized like, whoa, I'm making enough money now, but I'm also here 17 hours a day. The little pebble in my shoe of Open Gym became a huge, huge rock because I couldn't afford to pay anybody to come in and monitor Open Gym. And I also had to enforce rules harder with Open Gym. Open Gym created a big mess. It led to the more awkward conversations. I really wasn't making very much money per hour from it. And that was all time that I could have just gone home if I could have afforded to pay somebody else. So one of the pebbles in many shoes that we see is this open gym or even 24-hour access problem. A lot of gym owners believe that they're adding value by giving clients more and more access. But what they're actually doing is deflating their product. They're watering it down. So if I'm at a gym that gives me 24-hour access, I'm probably going to come around the coaching time. 
Then when another gym opens up down the street with 24-hour access that's $5 a month cheaper, you bet I'm going there because I'm getting the exact same service with six-month newer equipment for $5 less per month. You've just commoditized your gym by selling access instead of selling service. The only leg up that you can possibly get is to offer more access or newer equipment. And this is a trap that many micro gyms fall into because you'll never have the equipment budget of a big globo gym. You can't be constantly adding new equipment. And because our style of training, functional, requires less equipment than the big globo gym, we can't really sell novelty anyway. Are you going to keep upgrading your bars for the next six months? I don't think so. When you reach that threshold of 24-hour access, you can't offer more time than anybody else. Your comparative advantages, your competitive advantages are gone. And so now your only competitive advantage is price. That creates downward price pressure because you're selling access instead of coaching. When I opened my gym, I thought I'm going to let open gym go at the same time as my CrossFit classes because that creates this low barrier to entry option, quote unquote, And people will come in cheap, 45 bucks a month, and they'll work out and they'll see what an amazing coach I am and the value of coaching and they'll sign up for classes. 10 years later, I was removing Open Gym for the final time, having the final painful conversation and realizing what a huge mistake I had made. Finally, when I calculated what I was making from Open Gym, I realized that I was actually losing money by paying a staff person to be there. The only way that a net positive would come from selling open gym, even though I was doing about $2,000 a month in open gym sales, was if I sat at the desk myself, missed my kids' hockey games, missed their ball games, missed their after-dinner homework conversation, and basically martyred myself for less than minimum wage. I couldn't even afford to replace myself for minimum wage back when minimum wage was under 12 bucks an hour. Now it's 15 in Ontario. What I finally realized was that my time is finite and valuable. And that the lowest value use of my time was sitting at a desk and monitoring open gym. It was also the most frustrating use of my time because that's where clients would come up and want to have conversations when I was trying to do sales and marketing work. That's when clients would spill the chalk. That's when clients would get injured 100% of the time. That's when clients would want to argue about the level of access or care they were getting and ask why they couldn't come at five in the morning when class was on. The pebble in my shoe that I needed to remove early on were these traps that led to martyrdom, which became the limp in my stride and that eventually almost crippled my business. And this martyrdom was from the fact that I thought I was just offering more and more and more value or trying to get more and more and more clients at whatever price they were willing to pay. The next pebble I want to talk about is inconsistent treatment of clients. Now, this is something that I learned in the second grade. One day, a student in my class brought some gum and handed it out to five of their friends. And the teacher said, hey, don't bring gum for these five unless you're going to bring gum for everybody because that is what's fair. You can't chew gum without them chewing gum too. Now, call me a socialist. Anybody who knows me knows I'm not. But the bottom line is that consistency is greater than everything else in your business. If you can't offer this one thing to everybody in your gym at the exact same time, don't offer it at all. Here's a great example. Several years ago, one of my clients decided that he was going to complete a half marathon row. Let's call him Daniel. And he came in at about four o'clock in the afternoon and he started his row. But class started at six. And as he was rowing, he was getting very, very close to the start time of class. Now the rowers are kind of off to the side. They're not right in the middle of the floor. And the, the rowers aren't really that noisy. 
the coach could have let him finish. With about maybe 500 meters left in his row, maybe 1,000 meters left in his row, class was due to start. And so the coach went over to Daniel and said, hey, Dan, you got to stop. Either you're going to row this 1,000 meters in under a minute, and good for you if you are, or you're going to stop. And he said, that's crazy. I'm 22 kilometers into this half marathon row. And the coach said, that's the rule. You know the rule. Daniel hung up the rower, walked out and never came back. But the coach was right because if Daniel had been allowed to row for five minutes into the start of class time on Tuesday, then Daniel should have been allowed to row for five minutes into the class time on Wednesday. And if Daniel can row five minutes into the start of class time, that means that class starts five minutes late. And if it starts five minutes late on Tuesday, then if I show up six minutes late on Wednesday, I'm only one minute late. And if I show up seven minutes late on Thursday, I'm only actually two minutes late because who knows when the class time actually starts. These little inconsistencies, these little pebbles change our gait. It's very hard to make exceptions for one person without making exceptions for everybody. And that means consistency, black and white, removing the pebble from your shoe is greater than everything else. Let me give you another example of working out with my classes. When I was a brand new gym owner, my fitness was really paramount in my mind. You know, I opened a gym because I liked fitness and I opened a CrossFit gym because I loved CrossFit. I was coming out of powerlifting. I was strong, but I wasn't really fit. And so I loved doing the workouts and I loved going hard. You know, I was, I was used to that hard atmosphere. But on Saturdays, I also wanted to spend time with my kids. I wanted to do my CrossFit workout, but I wanted to get home. And so if I came in at 6 a.m. on Saturdays, took a couple of personal training clients, and then coached the 9 a.m. group, I could start training at 10, finish at noon, get home by 1, or I could just exercise with the 9 a.m. group, get done at 10, and home by 11, two hours earlier. So my solution for a couple of years was I'm going to work out with the 9 a.m. group on Saturday mornings. It was also a big group. There were, you know, 20, 30 people in there. But sometimes, even if it was a small group, I would still work out with them. And I told myself, no, my clients are okay with it, right? It's a little pebble in their shoe, but they won't even notice. They're willing to live with that. And I'm willing to live with it because I know it's maybe not perfect. But frankly, you know, I got to get my workout done and I don't want to stay until one o'clock. So I told myself that everything was okay, that I could live with it, that they could live with it, and that the gym could go on. And then clients started downgrading their membership. And I would say, well, you know, why? why? Why are you using up your punch cards less quickly? Why are you downgrading to three times a week? And they said, because we're paying for coaching. They weren't paying for a workout buddy. They weren't paying for my participation. They didn't find that my participation was so motivating intrinsically that they didn't need a coach anymore. They were paying for my coaching. I needed to get more consistent with that. It wasn't enough that one day out of every four, I wasn't coaching that I was working out with them. They weren't paying for workouts. They weren't paying for the programming. They're paying for coaching. And so when I wasn't coaching them, I wasn't delivering the service that they were paying for. So they dropped their membership. Now they were fine with dropping their membership. They were fine with showing up and doing those workouts Saturday morning and having me do the workouts with them, but they were not fine with paying for it. And that's what I didn't understand. This is the same reason that I ended free trials. When a new client comes into your gym and they're going to do their very first workout ever, you're trying to convince them that CrossFit is not scary. And so you say, yeah, you know, you can try a class. I know you just showed up at the very last minute, but this waiver says you don't have a heart condition, so you might be okay. Yeah, you might as well just jump in right now because no, this isn't scary. Nobody's going to get hurt. So you put them in the class and where does all of your attention go for that class? 
to that new client. You're totally distracted by that person. How am I going to scale the pull-ups for them? How do I know that they're going to be able to do a GHD sit-up like the rest of the class is? Or how am I going to scale this for them? How am I going to tell them, no, you can't do this yet, but we're going to scale and explain the whole scaling idea to them without taking away from my best clients, the people who are actually paying me to coach them. When one new person comes into a class of 10, they are going to get way more attention than anybody else in that class. And so when people were coming in for these free trials, I found myself so distracted by them and correcting their form and giving them attention, trying to sell them that my current clients weren't benefiting. So we stopped doing free trials and we started doing the no sweat intro process instead. We'd always run a no sweat intro process. We always knew that the conversion rate was way higher, that retention was way better, that the initial purchase was you know, many times higher when we did a no sweat intro, but we also offered the free trial because we perceived a low barrier to entry. And I'm doing the little barrier to entry thing in hashtags again, guys, because it's a concept that's not proven or even borne out through data. You know, after doing this now for 20 years of coaching, I'll tell you that the low barrier to entry is probably the fence that should be keeping people out anyway. You're removing the wrong fence. So instead of doing free trials sometimes and no sweat intros other times, we said no more free trials. What is the point of all these stories? First, that consistency is more important than everything else. Never make a rule that you can't enforce and never create a policy that you can't enforce evenly across everybody at all times. Take that lens now and ask yourself, what is the pebble in my shoe? Is it the one coach who shows up late? Is it the coach who uses their key to invite members or their girlfriends into the gym to work out on Sundays? Have I told myself I'm willing to live with this because, you know, the coach is good everywhere else? Have you said I'm willing to live with this because my coaching is amazing? I'm willing to live with that one bad member because, you know, they got a lot of family members in the gym and they pay a lot of money. I'm willing to live with that bad salesman because he sells a lot. Who cares if he creeps out all my other staff? What is the pebble in your shoe? Before you develop a limp, before you lose the ability to run, before you require surgery just to stay moving, let's remove that limp. Let's take that pebble out. How do you do that? Well, it depends what stage of business you're in. I recommend that you take our test, www.twobrain.com forward slash test, and find out what phase of entrepreneurship you're in. Then, with your mentor, identify what those little pebbles are that you've been telling yourself, lying to yourself, saying, I'm willing to live with that and remove them before they become a problem. So how do you remove these pebbles? Well, the first question to ask is when? When are you going to remove these pebbles? And the answer is always right now because anticipation is always worse than the event. The buildup, the scenarios that you kind of spin up in your brain about what could go wrong here. How's this person going to react? And oh my God, what if this happens? And you're picturing the worst case scenario. Those things are always worse than the actual outcome after you do the thing. If you want to break up with somebody, you start the conversation by saying, I think we should break up. You don't tell them, hey, baby, I want to see other people. And you don't start treating them like garbage. That's the stuff that you did in the sixth grade. What you say is, I think we should break up. And whatever happens in the next 10 minutes, whatever is said, whatever is accused, whatever is thrown at your face, you are going to break up. Always take action. You can survive the outcome. It probably won't kill you. If you need to feel more comfortable, then imagine literally the worst case scenario to your action and ask yourself, can I live with that? If you need more help, listen to the podcast we've done, especially with Jay Williams on taking action, or really that's where a mentor comes in. 
So when do you take action? You take action as soon as you can to avoid that intensely painful, stressful buildup, the anticipation of the bad idea. What's the best way to take action? Well, there are two parts to a decision. The first is making a good decision. And the second is taking action on that decision. So if you're going to raise rates, do it one time and do it well. You don't have to do it incrementally. You don't have to grandfather people in. Oh my goodness. Don't give some people a rate increase and not other people. Don't increase it a little bit, you know, with the hopes that you're going to increase it a little bit more next year. Find out what the best gyms have done to increase their rates. Follow that exact template that's been borne out by data and do it right now. If you've been avoiding a very tough conversation, that conversation is not going to be easier the longer you wait. All you're going to do is put yourself through days, weeks, hours, months of stress while you imagine outcomes in your brain. Instead, have the conversation. If you're thinking about evaluating a staff person or correcting them, set the evaluation date way in advance instead of waiting until you're mad at them. This is more fair to everybody, yourself included, and it's more fair to them too. Have clear checkpoints set in advance when you're going to check in with your staff, when you're going to ask your staff how they're doing, when you're going to ask your clients how they're doing, when you're going to call people who haven't been to your gym in a month, instead of just avoiding them and hope that they forget that they're still paying you a membership, decide that you're going to call them exactly 30 days after their last visit because that's the right thing to do and because you need to take emotion out of that decision. Remove that pebble in your shoe. The last thing you want is for 20 people to be absent from your gym and you're hoping none of them notice and then they all notice on the exact same day and decide to cancel and now you're really injured. So decide what the puddle is in your shoe. Write that down. Decide what the best path to action is and then take that action. Do it by Friday. Enjoy your week. All right, we made it. There we go. John Franklin, welcome to Two Brain Stories. How are you? Sorry, I'm late. Please send all complaints to uh, Chris at TwoBrainBusiness.com. <laughs> we'll make sure they get, all get to him. So welcome to Two Brain Stories, where we go over whether that's a struggle or a success that you've had in your business and what has gotten you through it, or if you're currently going through it, what is your tactics to get you out of it and get you to where you want to be. So first off, welcome. Talk a little bit about who you are, a little bit about your background, about your businesses, and then uh, we'll jump into the story. What's the story? You're horrifying me. Was I supposed to make a story up? <laughs> Any of the stories that you have, yes. Okay, you're going you're gonna to have to just ask me some questions then because I, I am ill-prepared for this. But uh, yes, I am John Franklin. I own a company called Flipside Performance. I've been rocking and rolling with Tubrain now for about a little over a year. I started back in 2013 out of a park. Uh, with a used set of Walmart kettlebells. There's maybe five or six people who showed up to that workout, two of which are in the Two Brain group right now because they are you know, my partners and business owners, uh, like fellow business owners, so that was really cool. We kind of bootstrapped our way up from one uh, gym with a 1,000 usable square feet in a town called Hoboken, New Jersey. We now have four gyms in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, We've made literally every mistake in the book, but, you know, just for better or for worse. And uh, um, let's see, what else is interesting? I think we're, I think we're really good at marketing and that's why we help other gyms within Two Brain Market now. I would agree. You're not just good at it. You're great at Two Brain Marketing. So I would say definitely kudos to not only what you guys do, but what you've, what you've done for other gyms and in their marketplace and uh, building up their marketing strategies and, and doing an amazing job at it. So great job. Cheers, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. 
I'm going to blush so, on camera. Oh. <laughs> so um, let's, if we're going to get into um, a story, the one thing that I'd actually like to know is you went from working out in a park to turning around and now you are, you own four different locations. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Okay. Coner and Coner and two of them. I own two outright. Okay. Talk to me about you. You first had that first facility. Talk to me through the steps of not only mentally, where were you when you decided, okay, I need to open up that second facility and then the steps along the way to actually getting that to get off the ground and be successful and then moving into your third and fourth locations. Okay. So in the beginning, I, I never wanted to be a multi-facility owner. Uh, it just kind of happened organically. So, so where we are, the town of Hoboken is right outside of New York City and it's a mile square. Okay. So it's a town of 60,000 people. And uh, if you fill your gym up, it's not like there's a warehouse next door you can rent out. Like it's row homes all the way through. There's not an industrial part. So I put a purple banner on the door that went to a landing page that worked like maybe 40% of the time collecting email addresses. You know, I, I kind of wrote together a, a five email sequence. And for that gym, I was hoping to get like 20 members because I remember like 20 members, I would be able to pay my rent and like everything would just be gravy. And so we opened up membership sales for a weekend and we ended up selling 120 memberships. Wow. Um, so it was insane. It was part luck. But like, I want to think part of it's because I just write amazing emails, but um, I think it's more luck than anything else. And so we sold them for the beginning of September the beginning of September came and uh, gym was not open. It was not ready. And, and so I kept stringing these people along and it took us about an extra five or six weeks to actually open the door. Everybody ended up sticking with us, but like we, we offered a pretty good service. And so by the end of the year, that was October when we opened, by the end of the year, we were pushing 200 members and that's in a space with like, you know, 1200 usable square feet. So it was tight, like, like yeah. kind, of, kind of dangerous tight. And from there, like we had nowhere to go. Like we, we didn't have any room to expand. So naturally we decided to open up a second facility. And this was, we signed the lease for the second facility six months after opening the first one which, you know, if you're thinking of doing that, it's a terrible idea to do that. <laughs> it's just really, really not smart. But, you know, we were, we were arrogant and we made it work, right? And, and I think because we were able to see some success with the initial marketing sequence, when we opened up the second one, we did even better. So we sold 220 memberships all paid in full before we opened on that one. We did, you know, when it was all said and done, a little bit over a quarter million dollars in sales in the first week we were open. And so that was like, those first two were like super gravy. Yeah. And we cruised there for um, a little while. 2015, I made a huge mistake in my business. Maybe we can talk about that as my story. If you, if you want to do that. Perfect. That, yeah. set it, that set us back about two years. And then at that point in time, uh, I had guys on my team, which I'm sure a lot of people who are probably pushing towards tinker phase. Like, like my guys have been with me for a while now. They were all really good at what they were doing. And we were trying to create opportunity for them to like expand. And like, when you have smaller gyms, you kind of, you kind of reach a point where you plateau. Like, even if you continue to crush, like, you know, maybe juicing out an extra two, $3,000 a month in monthly revenue, it really doesn't move the needle a lot if you're doing 40, 50, 60,000 pretty consistently. 
so you know, we decided to open more gyms and created a partnership model with my guys. I think the, the guys in the group, Mateo's one of them, Ashley's one of them, Osh, they're, they're all in the group, so they can back me up on this. And um, the first one we opened was Hudson River Fitness, which was with uh, Ashley Mack, and that was uh, January of last year. And then we were approached by a gym out in Philadelphia where the owners were looking to sell. And we ended up buying it from those guys. And Osh moved out there and it's called CrossFit Rittenhouse. He's been running it really, really well. And I've heard a lot of horror stories about buying other gyms. Like for us, the process was pretty smooth. And I think the reason being was because the gym was like, you know, it didn't have a ton of culture when we moved in there and they maybe had like 30, 40 members. So it wasn't like, you know, instilling some change wasn't like a battle right so i i don't i see that more as like just reopening a gym rather than like buying an existing gym because they didn't really have a business they were barely paying their rent gotcha so uh let's let's get into your let's get into your struggle let's talk about that what what exactly happened what was your giant mistake that put you back two years yeah so when I, I've always been a big fan of mentorship and I've always invested pretty heavily in self-improvement type stuff. Um, when I first moved to New Jersey, New York area, I'll just say New York because like everybody from New Jersey just says New York because it's just like people don't really know where New Jersey is or they think New Jersey and they think like Newark. Um, and, and we're not about that. Come to Jersey. It's wonderful. So I reached out to a guy who's a successful facility owner out there and asked for mentorship. And so we continued to develop a relationship over a couple of years. And at a point in 2015, he approached me and was like, Hey, like I'm leaving my current affiliate. I want to open up all these other affiliates. We'll raise some money and it's going to be huge. We're going to build like a bunch of these really nice CrossFit gyms and it's going to be awesome. And I was like, oh my God, like my mentor wants to do business with me. This is like amazing. And so I started pursuing going forward with this idea of like, you know, we'll raise some money and open up some like, I think like spaces that look like it, like a brick would be the closest thing, you know, a place that smells good, Mm -hmm. big, and has a lot of space. We started going down that road and like I leveraged contacts. We actually had success raising money. And, you know, I want to say two, three months into the venture, we find out this guy's complete fraud. So he'd embezzled money from the joint account that we created for the business to pay off previous business debts. He had enticed other people to like commit, like he'd committed wire fraud before. Wow. And so like he was supposed to be pursuing these spaces in New York city. Yeah. We called the broker, found out he wasn't pursuing anything. Like he hadn't been in contact with the guy in months. And so we'd been working like very, very hard. Like we had hired people for these spaces. Like they were, they were working in my facility with the idea of like, we would over hire to push them out into this new amazing facility so they could hit the ground running. And the guy never had any intention of like opening this up at any point in time. And so like I had all this, I I had my two gyms, which were now overstaffed because we were, we were training people for a facility that was never going to open. I had, you know, these close contacts that I had raised money from and, you know, I'm telling them this is going to be the the best thing since sliced bread and I have to go back and be like, JK, like my business partner is a fraud. <laughs> yeah. And then I have like the three months of time that I spent like developing the strategic vision, the money, the blood, the sweat, the tears that, that went into, you know, building all this stuff. 
and essentially had to blow it up. And, and, and the result of it all was, you know, I ended up backing out the investors and, and losing a lot of money personally. Like I think all said and done, the mistake cost me pretty close to half a million dollars, which is, you know, at the time, like a catastrophic amount of money. My gyms were in limbo. Like, you know, we were, we were fighting with, with solvency for a couple months, um, you know, paying, paying payroll and paying rent was, was tough. And from a staff perspective, like we had all these people that we were training for a new gym that was never going to open. So like had to, had to do some like pretty severe layoffs, which was like a terrible, terrible feeling. Like I'm sure everybody in this group has had to fire somebody before. Like it is not fun. Like it's not fun when the person's a jerk. Um, And it's extra not fun when the person's like a good person that you wanted to be in your business. And so, you know, I had to, like, these are people who had moved to New York to be a part of this new thing. And like, I had to fire that. Like we had one guy who brought his family to tour one of the facilities like the day of, and like we fired him the next day. Like it, it was like, you know, talk about like an in bed, awake, vomiting in the middle of the night. It, It was very, very, very dark time for me. And then it had a very negative effect on both of our existing communities, right? Because we were obviously talking with the members about this great expansion. We're going to be doing all this cool stuff we're going to get. And then we're just like, oh, JK, none of that's actually happening. We were just lying to you for three months. And and in addition to that, like in order to remain solvent, like I I raised the rates on them Um, Mm -hmm. after being like, hey, I just broke all these promises. And it's not going to cost you 30% more to go here. And so between like the staff being upset and the members being upset and like the devastating financial loss, like, you know, that was the closest I was to like throwing in the towel, wiping my hands clean and being like, I'm going back to the cubicle. So yeah, that was, uh, that was the, the most dramatic setback and, and, and the darkest time in uh, my business. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty rough. Not only finding out that this person was supposed to help you build your vision and their vision of what they wanted, uh, but then going around and promising promising staff to to eventually take over and and not being able to follow through. I can only imagine what what you had to go through over those over those few months. Sure, I'm sure of. Well, yeah, he disappeared, obviously, right? Yeah. So I was left to clean up the mess and be the face yeah. of it. And so I was, I was very much the bad guy. And, and then there was like the whole part of like, I went to the FBI, there was a federal investigation, oh. the guy's now in jail. And so like, you know, had to pursue legal action civilly as well. And for those of you who've been in any form of litigation, like that is not a fun yeah. or uh, inexpensive process. Yeah. And then anyone who's been involved in any kind of like large civil case or, you know, anything with like the FBI or anything, that's also not a fun process and also a very time consuming process. So pursuing that and trying to serve justice to this guy while trying to like staple the business back together, it was, it was dark, man. Yeah, I can believe it. What, what was the glimmer of hope? What did you, when you actually got through this process, what made you see, you could see to the other side of like, Hey, actually this is going to work out. I don't have to throw in the towel. I don't have to go back to that day job in a cube. What was that? Where was that time or that point? And what were, what was going on? I mean, when this was all going down, like I was definitely clinically depressed. So like anybody who's ever suffered with any kind of depression before, it's just kind of like gray, right? Your whole life is just like in a fog and you're not really thinking a whole lot about anything, right? And so, you know, you're just kind of going through the motions and grinding along. And for me, you know, it was a good probably six months before we were in a position where like 
you know, we had some operating buffer in the bank account. It was never like, will we pay rents? Like we're consistently operating at a surplus again. And I think at that point when there was a little like glimmer of hope and I think the dust had settled, staff was like no longer fearing for their job. And the members were no longer being like, it, are the lights going to be turned on, come into workout the next day? Like that's when I started to settle down a little bit, you know, focus on the stuff that mattered, which is, you know, offering great service, getting the members results and making sure the staff is happy. Because when you're, you're in a moment of crisis, like if your personal life is in crisis, like you very much cannot, like it makes it very, very difficult to think about others. It makes it very difficult to like do stuff that matters with your staff because you're just so drained and there's nothing like really left to give, which is, you know, I think one of the things is gym owners, like, you know, there, there are a lot of very out of shape gym owners just because of the nature of the business and, you know, how much it takes out of you and anybody who's been working splits for, you know, more than a year, like really understands how tough it is to, you know, get in time to take care of you. And, and anybody who's gone from that, we're like really deconditioned to like in shape while owning a business like you know when, when you have your shit together when you have your life together like it makes so much of a difference in every aspect of your business and so like when i was going through all that like like when i started to get back in shape when i started to like when i started to get back in shape and taking care of me like the business started to kind of get back in shape and take care of itself excellent excellent and i think that's a perfect place to wrap it up so awesome. if if anybody wants to get in contact you with the group here for Two Brain Marketing, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, just John at twobrainbusiness.com. Or if you want to have a call with Mateo, it is just bit.ly. So bit.ly forward slash I love Teo. T-E-O. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, thanks again, John, for jumping on. We appreciate the story. And if anybody else out there has a story or someone that they know that's gone through a struggle or success and they want to share it with the group, please let me know at greg at twobrainbusiness.com. If not, thanks again, John, and I will see you later. Cheers, man.